Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 7 and 15 through 16. Listen for the word of the Lord. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but you, your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, there was a car racing through the countryside. Around a bend, it sped straight into a bunch of chickens. And a terrible clucking told the driver that something was wrong. He pulled up and glanced back. Two birds lay dead in the road. Two others were fleeing, squawking back home. And a burly man in overalls was striding angrily towards the automobile. That'll be $12, three apiece for the four, said the man. Four, gasped the motorist, but I only killed two. That's right, agreed the owner, but them other two will never lay a blessed egg after this. I'm sorry, said the motorist as he handed over the money. Due to fright, I suppose? The farmer shook his head as he pushed the bills into his pocket. Partly fright, he agreed slowly, but mainly because they ain't hens, the roosters. <laughs> Sometimes chickens aren't who we think they are. Sometimes people aren't who we think they are. Sometimes even we, maybe, aren't who we think we are. The story of the chickens from the old farmer's almanac was a case of mistaken identities. In our passage for today that we just read, it seems that Abram and Sarai may be wondering if they're living a case of mistaken identities. Abram's name means exalted father, and at 99 years old, he doesn't have any children. He may be wondering if this is some kind of cruel joke that somebody's about to pocket $12 off of. I can only imagine what it must have felt like for him all the questions that he probably got as they were waiting for a child. So, 
Mr. Exalted Father, huh? How many kids do you and the missus have? Uh, hmm, none? Why on earth did my parents stick me with this name? I imagine he thought to himself. And he probably begins to question his identity and maybe even God's promise. Am I Abram? Am I ever really going to be an exalted father? Because it's been a quarter of a century, mind you, since God first made the promise. I'm sure it seemed unlikely at 75, but now at 99, it seems impossible, even laughable, right? Remember that? Sarah laughs at the end of this story. And while waiting, most likely they've seen other parents give birth to kids who have probably already given them some fussy grandkids to bounce on their knee. I can only imagine how this must have felt for Abram and Sarai, how it must have drug on. They think the promise is going to be fulfilled. Maybe, maybe this time. Maybe we're almost at the horizon, and yet again and again for 25 years, it's delayed. That is some of the worst kind of waiting, isn't it? When you just don't know how long you're supposed to wait. It's a lot easier when you know there's the deadline. That's what I've got to get to. But when you don't know how long it's going to be, it's hard. Does that sound familiar? Kind of like where we are right now in the middle of this pandemic. It feels like the hoped for future of coming out of the pandemic tunnel is right around the corner. But we've been thinking that for a while now. I don't know if y'all remember last year, last February, we were thinking things might be normal by Easter 2020. And then it was by the end of the summer, and then it was this Easter, and now we hear maybe spring or summer or fall. Whew, it's not 25 years, but I'm starting to get a sense of how Abram and Sarah felt in the waiting for a hoped-for future that felt interminably far away. In this time of waiting, I feel like it kind of has forced us to question, maybe reimagine our identity, who we are. Are we really who we thought we were? Are we set in our ways or are we willing to adapt? During the pandemic, many of us who would have considered ourselves not very tech savvy are zooming with ease. We're more resilient and adaptable than perhaps we even thought. Then the question has arisen, are we a people who are always busy, always doing the next thing, or do we have more time than perhaps we thought to stop and determine our priorities? When you're waiting, you have more time to think about who you are. And just as Abram is questioning who he is, God steps in and offers a new understanding, a new identity, but first not for Abram, for, but for God, for God's self. God says, I am El Shaddai. This is the first time in all of the Old Testament that this name gets used for God. And Abram is the first one that gets to hear it. 
God appears before Abram. This is powerful and reveals himself in a new way. El Shaddai, which is often translated as God Almighty, is also sometimes translated God of the mountains. And when Abram hears God speak God's name, he falls down in obedience and reverence with his face to the ground. And in sharing this name for the first time, it's as if God's sharing more of who God is with Abram, allowing Abram to see God in a new way. Of course, I imagine he's thinking as his face is down on the ground, of course the God of the mountains, of all creation, of earth and sky and sea, can make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abram sees God anew, and then it's almost as if that allows Abram to see himself in a new way as well, and God gives Abram a new identity. No longer is he Abram, but Abraham. No longer is he exalted father. He is now to be called father of many nations. That's what Abraham means. He's not just going to be a father, but a father of many at the ripe old age of 99. He should be buying depends, not diapers, but this is the promise. And Sarai, too. No longer is she Sarai, but Sarah, which, as Jason shared, means princess, reminding us again of God's promise that from her will come a royal line. Their covenant relationship with one another brings forth for each party a newly revealed identity. In other words, their friendship allows them to see themselves and each other in a new way. And I think it's fair to say that about each of us, that our identity comes from a mixture of who we are as individuals and how we are shaped by the community around us, that age-old nature versus nurture, right? For example, before Hazel was born, I wasn't a mother, and I definitely didn't see the world in quite the same way as I do now. But now my identity has changed a bit. Being a mom isn't all of who I am, but Hazel has definitely shaped who I am today and how I think about things. Or maybe you remember the Broadway show Wicked that came out several years ago? One of the major themes of that show was identity. Um, if you haven't seen it before, Wicked is the backstory, I love a good backstory, of the well-known Wizard of Oz story. You know that one, right? There's Dorothy, Toto, Glinda the Good Witch, the Wicked Witch of the West, and we pretty much, they're pretty flat characters. We know who they are, right? But in Wicked, the Wicked Witch of the West is portrayed not as this innately wicked person, but as a young schoolgirl who happens to be green and misunderstood. At the end of the show, she and Glinda the Good Witch sing about how they've been changed for, for the good, for good because they knew each other, because of their friendship with the other singing. Um, they, sing, they sing, it well may be that we will never meet again in this lifetime. So let me say before we part, so much of me is is made of what I learned from you. You'll be with me 
like a handprint on my heart. And now whatever way our stories end, I know you have rewritten mine by being my friend. Isn't that a beautiful image? Now, whatever way our stories end, I know you have rewritten mine by being my friend. Our relationships with people shape who we are and even change who we are. She thought that she was somebody who might never have a friend, and they spoke new life into each other. Our relationships shape us. They rewrite our stories, so to speak. This past Wednesday in worship, Reverend Angie Long, a colleague and friend who works for the United Methodist Children's Home that we support, told a powerful story about a girl who's supported by the UMCH. It has sat with me all week since she preached as I thought about Abraham and Sarah's story. Angie told the story of a girl she called T to protect her confidentiality. She's a young teenage mother who lived in a very impoverished, drug-laden, gang-related neighborhood. T doesn't have a strong family support system with her father in prison and her mother not around very often. She struggled in school and life. And once she, she became pregnant, she turned to the United Methodist Children's Home and Angie shared that the girls in the home in Mobile are not girls who have chosen to be pregnant, but who've had something happen to them. The state comes in, they have to be removed from the situation, and then they live in this beautiful place with these people that they've never met before, other young moms, a staff who have come to live there with them, and they teach them how to parent, all the while supporting them while they continue to go to school or to work. And she said, T is doing all that. She's raising babies, going to school. She has a job. She hasn't had any issues with her anger or problems that she had in the past. And it's because her environment is not based on survival anymore. When you are raised in a place of survival instead of a place of love, your perspective looks a lot different. Angie shared, She's gone from no hope to hope filled, saying her hope does not lie in a 401k, a political party, or past accomplishments. Her hope lies in the true love and hope and mercy of Jesus Christ as she has experienced it through the people there around her, as she has experienced it through strangers like you who support the United Methodist Children's Home, people she doesn't even know. T has a new identity as a person of hope because of these relationships. It's a beautiful story. She sees herself and the world differently because the community has loved her, has cared for her, has shared the transforming hope and love of Jesus Christ with her. I also want to tell you the story of my friend Gerard, who is from Burundi. We met in seminary at Duke several years back, and he's given me permission to share some of his story. And I think it highlights really the importance of remembering our identity is rooted first and foremost in the fact that we are all children of God. Because when Gerard was a teenager in Burundi, the country was going through a terrible, a terrible civil war. 
similar to the one in the neighboring country of Rwanda, spurred on by the vestiges of colonialism. There was so much fighting and killing that he fled his country on foot and found refuge in a couple of neighboring countries before eventually making it here to the United States. He still serves today as a pastor out in Oklahoma. And while he was away, his dad and two brothers were murdered by people from the other tribe in his country. Later, his mom, while they were talking on the phone, told Gerard that she started attending a Bible study in the village with the mother of one of the guys who killed his dad. When Gerard heard this, he said, I was really having a hard time understanding how she could do that. How she could go to a Bible study with our neighbor whose son killed my dad. And when I made it back to Burundi, he said, and asked her about it, it was really hard because we were both crying. He shared, my mom's response was, Gerard, your dad and I baptized you as an infant. And we did not baptize you as a Hutu or a Tutsi. We baptized you as a child of God. And God didn't say life was going to be easy and rosy. If you continue to call yourself a Christian, then you don't have any choice except to forgive. She was reminding him that his identity was bigger than tribe, bigger than seeing himself and his family as victim. His identity, first and foremost, was that he was a child of God, and so was that mom in the Bible study. And that identity as a child of God gave him both a path forward and a set of expectations to keep. One of those we just saw being forgiveness. Our identity as children of God tells us both who we are and how we are to live. In this chapter in Genesis, the word covenant is used 13 different times. It's as if the writer of Genesis doesn't want us to miss the point. Abraham and Sarah's identity is rooted in this covenant relationship with God. The covenant tells us who we are and how we are to live. You may remember that on Confirmation Sunday, each of the students wears a stole. It looks kind of like the one that we wear, but it's more colorful because they've decorated it themselves. And on their stoles, we have them write a list of adjectives to describe themselves, whatever they want to pick. They often choose words like funny, kind, smart, shy, athletic. Then they write down roles that they play, such as son or daughter, sister, brother, friend, teammate. They draw a symbol that represents who they are. Basically, the ways in which they identify themselves to others. And above all those things, they write one simple and important word at the top. They write Christian. And that is because we want this to be the relationship that defines our identity above all over other things and how we relate to others. Above all else, we are God's people, followers of Jesus Christ. God enters into relationship with us and then shows us what it looks like to be in relationship with one another. Because God first loved and laid down God's own life for us, 
That's how we are called to be in relationship with one another, not putting ourselves first, but putting others first. The communion meal that we're going to share in this morning is a reminder that Jesus' story has rewritten our story and who we are. We are not a people enslaved by a calendar, addiction, greed, or anything else. We are a people set free. We are not a people who live to survive, but who live to love, even if that means dying. We are not a people isolated and alone, but befriended by the Lord our God. We are not a people motivated by fear, but by a resurrection hope. As we wait this Lent for Easter to come, as we wait to emerge from the pandemic tunnel, I encourage you to reflect on where your identity lies and what that means for you. And as you wait, I invite you to remember that while the end may seem far away, God never is. Amen. Amen.